0: Everything else versus Bitcoin essentially gets spent and dies.
1: I want to be able to have reactive security. And I think Opvault is today
2: the most straightforward, easiest to use way to do that.
0: I will not be insulted by a (laughs)
3: clockmaker.
1: Overall, these kind of ways to make the network easier to both build on and interact with, I think is a really big deal. If Bitcoin existed when we started Twitter, we would not have to go down the ad model path. I mean, it's as simple as that. Integrating Lightning into a social network is the killer app.
0: Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin.review podcast, where we explore developments and projects with the people who actually make them happen. The show is supported by Pod 2.0 Sat Streaming and CoinKite. If you're a new listener, I'm NVK. I run CoinKite, where we've been helping people secure their bitcoins for over a decade. We make the cold card and fund products like the Block Clock. You can find more information about it on CoinKite.com. Today, we're going to be talking about frost, and maybe we get even into roast. Uh, and that is not a dish. So with that, uh, why don't I welcome our... Guests, uh, Mr. Jesse Posner.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm working on an open source Frost implementation, so, I'm very excited to talk
0: about Frost. Very cool. Uh, Mr. Rindell. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks. Great to be here. Seared Salmon.
2: Hello. Uh, the angry translator is back. I will help <laughs> uh, distill this wisdom that Jesse bestows upon us
0: <laughs> all right guys so um, why don't we sort of start from the very beginning here um, what is what is frost is <laughs> it is it is it frozen <laughs> it's uh, it's well
3: it's cold <laughs> uh, but not necessarily frozen um, yeah so frost I think the best way to explain frost is first to kind of take a step back and think about how we typically set up multi-sig in Bitcoin, uh, which is that we use scripts. So you can use a Bitcoin script to define uh, a set of public keys and a threshold. And then if you want to spend uh, that Bitcoin, there needs to be a production of signatures that matches the threshold in the public keys that is specified in the script. And so that's how we get these great, Multi-sig configurations um, for uh, secure Bitcoin storage, uh, but there's a few disadvantages. Disadvantages to doing it this more traditional way. One is there's a privacy loss. So when you go to spend the Bitcoin, you have to reveal the script, and then that reveals the public keys that were involved in the threshold. And if you're using a very like idiosyncratic setup. That might actually identify who you are. If you're like one of the only people that does a 25 of 108 or something, maybe you know that that creates a signature where people can identify what you're up to. At the very least, it, it reveals information about your setup that you probably don't want the whole world to know about. So there's this privacy leak, and the other uh, the other potential issue is we can have some really big scripts with multi-sig because we have to list all the public keys explicitly. So Frost is uh, a way of getting the same benefits of multi-sig, except when we look at look at the, uh, the blockchain, we only see one public key and one signature. And it just looks like a key spend path for a taproot uh, spend. And so you can't tell that there were multiple keys involved. Uh, you don't know anything about the threshold. And we get this nice constant space scaling efficiency where no matter how complex the multi-sig setup is, the amount of space uh, that the redemption script takes on the chain is always the same.
0: Would you say that Frost is essentially single-sig, right? As as far as Bitcoin cares, right? Is Bitcoin single-sig? And, and what you're doing there is some magical, fancy Shamir secret sharing of that, that original single key, right? In a way that nobody really has that single key. And then you just magically uh, get everybody to sign in, in whatever M of N, which is really threshold, but let's just keep it simple. You, you find quorum, right, of those shards. And then once you have quorum of that, then you, you compose a Bitcoin single signature with that key, right? And now you have your your Bitcoin. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So you could kind of think, think of it as single SIG from an on-chain perspective, but there's multiple signatures that are taking place off-chain that then are constructing the single signature that you see on-chain. and. Shamir secret sharing is definitely a good point of reference here because not only is Frost an improvement over uh, multi sig in terms of Bitcoin script, although there are some trade offs, it's not simply superior because with Frost, there's an interactive uh, setup process that you need to do to create the key, whereas with the script based method, you don't have that. But going back to Shamir secret sharing, it's a useful point of comparison. So, t- so typically, the way Shamir works is You have a secret, the private key, you split it into pieces. And then when you want to sign, you got to bring these pieces back together to reconstruct the key. And the generation and the reconstruction are two vulnerable points in the process because that is where a single key is constructed all by itself. Um, So you need like a very secure, trusted process to to do that uh, without leaking the secret. With Frost, we can generate Shamir shares without ever having to have a single secret that is split. So we have the shares, but we don't have the single secret. And then we can sign for this key without bringing the shares back together.
2: This is uh, what's known as the polynomial interpolation, correct? Well, in uh, so
3: for Shamir secret sharing, the reconstruction is polynomial interpretation. Or in interpolation. So the idea behind Shamir is if you have two points, those two points uniquely define one line. And if you have three points, those three points uniquely define a parabola. And in general, any n points uniquely defines an n 1 degree polynomial. So if you want to create a Shamir secret sharing Shares You have your secret, which is a private key. And then you create a polynomial with a degree that's equal to the threshold that is required to reconstruct. And then you set your secret as the coefficient of the first polynomial term. And then you create random coefficients for the other terms. And then what you do is you derive points that fit the polynomial. So you plug in X equals one, you get a Y value. You plug in X equals two, you get a Y value. And each one of these XY coordinate pairs is a Shabir share. So when you distribute Shemer shares, they're XY coordinate pairs that were derived from some polynomial. And then once you have uh, when you want to reconstruct, you get uh, the necessary number of shares. So let's say we're doing a two of three. We need two points to define the line. So once I know the two points, I can interpolate the line that crosses the two points. I can reconstruct the original polynomial, and then I can derive the secret by taking the first coefficient.
2: That sounds like moon math, as uh, Boyd famously
0: (laughs) said. Yeah, I mean that is definitely getting a little bit too much into the weeds there. But you know, but (laughs) I guess the important part here is. the the magic of frost is because you're doing that you can now just share a nonce right so that you don't have to do all this computation interactively uh between all the parties
1: i think like in the past if you wanted to have some kind of threshold scheme to protect your bitcoin you had kind of two choices you could either have single sig and you would shamir split it but then you still have to get all of the pieces back together on one device. And in that one device, if there's malware on it, if somebody kicks in your door, like whatever, like you have a single device with one key on it that can spend all of your money. Or you would go with script-based multi-sig where you can go and do partial signatures at different places and then combine them together. But it's a lot bigger on chain. It's more expensive. It leaks some privacy information. Frost is kind of the best of both worlds. You can split up your key into multiple places and then go and do partial signatures with each of those individual shares and then combine them together. And from Bitcoin's perspective, it's still a single signature, but you have um, like there, there's not one
2: place where where you have a key that gets reconstructed. Could we touch on, I guess, maybe the, the different methods or functions for this, uh, Scheme versus like the traditional ECDSA, where we generate a uh, sign and verify. Like how how does it get a bit more complex with the Shamir secrets and the nonce commitments and things like that?
3: Yeah. So basically, when you have just like a standard, let's say ECDSA or Schnorr signature, you generate a public-private key pair, and then you've got a sign algorithm and a verification algorithm, and uh, is pretty uh, pretty simple from an API perspective. Once we move into frostland, uh, things get more complex. So the first thing is we need to think about three distinct phases or uh, processes. One is the key generation process itself. So if we're looking at you know standard signatures, you just take a private key, a scalar that's in the secp group. And you take the generator and you raise it to the power of that scalar, and that's your public key. Now, with Frost, we have to do something called distributed key generation because we want to build the key in a distributed way, where multiple entities are contributing to the to the uh, the secrecy or to the entropy of the key without any one of those entities knowing what the actual key is. So that's that's DKG, and that's like a three round protocol to do the DKG that's interactive. And so what, what happens is each participant generates a Shamir share or g- generates a Shamir polynomial and derives shares for each other participant. And then each participant takes the shares they've received and aggregated them. And what that, ha- what ends up happening is the aggregated shares are shares of the aggregated polynomials. Nobody knows the aggregated polynomials. Each participant only knows their own polynomial. And there's also um, some additional uh, processes called VSS, where uh, this is a more secure way of doing Shamir secret sharing, verifiable secret sharing, where you also distribute a commitment to your polynomial. So each participant can verify that the structure of the polynomial is what they expect. And then you also have to provide a proof of knowledge for the first coefficient term to prevent a rogue key attack. And you also need to provide a signature at the end, signing a hash of all the commitments to fulfill a, a broadcast um, channel requirement that each participant saw the same commitments as everybody else. So that's, that's the first part is the DKG. And at the end of that, each participant has a Shamir share of a private key of which nobody knows the private key and, Everybody has been able to derive the, the public key. So you have a public key and Shamir shares of a private key at the end of the DKG.
1: Yeah, like I, I think a, a reasonable mental model for this is if you think of Shamir's secret sharing as like you go and you generate a secret and this could be like a Bitcoin private key or it could be a, you know, a Nostr key or something else and then you split it into pieces and you distribute those pieces and then you delete the original. That, that, that's the way that you would like shard out your um, private key with like Shamir secret sharing. The DKG that we do in Frost is kind of that, but upside down. So instead of starting with a shared key and then splitting it, you have your different participants and these could be different people. They could be different signing devices. They could be different machines. They could do whatever your, your different participants each generate a share And then you have a way for them to combine the shares together to basically create a shared secret that nobody has at at any point in time. And then the the last thing that Jesse was touching on is there's all kinds of attacks that you can do where if you can sort of reactively choose your shares based on what other people's shares are, then you might be able to cancel out certain terms or you might be able to cause um, like denial of service or, or cause like other problems later on when those keys get used. So there's some additional, like, uh, w- we're going to say nonce commitment a lot during uh, during this episode. But there, there, there's a bunch of um, points during key generation and during signatures where before you uh, reveal a value, you send over a hash of it so that people can tell that you didn't, like, change your mind later when you saw their values. So there's um, a, a couple of moving parts there as well. So
0: that's, like, a nice sort of, like, a... a, a I'd say, like, a deeper dive into the into how it works. I guess, like, let's explore some use cases here because that might help people sort of start to understand, like, what is the yeah. value of all this? Uh, because, you know, why not multisig, right? And, I mean, multisig in practice is an absolute clusterfuck. It's horrible. <laughs> it's, like, horrific, right? It's so bad that most people still advise people to just go single sig with passphrase, right? Yeah. Because... You know, in multi-sig, you're essentially committing to the m of n right from the beginning, right? And and it's very strict, right? Like in very plain terms, I mean, you know, if you set something to be two of three, it is two of three forever, right? And and there is no half of something. There's nothing. It's just two of three. Uh, it is on chain, right? So so that means that uh, everybody can see once you sign a single transaction they can see it. It's so bad that um, I can't remember which exchange was, but somebody did a timing attack uh, or just timing analysis on, it might have been BitMEX or something like that, where they essentially figure out where each of the executives were and which <laughs> of them signed the big balance of some cold storage. It might not have been Bitmax, so don't, don't, don't associate that name with it. I can't really remember which one it was, but it was a big one.
2: They do have like a three of six uh threshold payout wallet or something, right?
0: I yeah, think I, it can I can't be. remember.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, so it's so like the, the the first benefit that a lot of people see with things like frost or musig, which is related, but musig is you know n of n and frost is threshold, so it's you know t of n. The first benefit that a lot of people see is Again, on chain, it just looks like a single sig. And so, if if we move into this world where you know people might have uh, tap scripts that they don't reveal, and they're they're able to make payments through the key path, and you can do that either as a single sig or as a threshold signature, then it really helps with you know privacy and fungibility because like nobody can tell if that one key that you're using, or 50 keys, or 100 keys, like it's all just a single signature. That also makes things cheaper. Like you're not paying for all of these other public keys on chain. I think those are really cool benefits. But for me, the the crazy superpower that Frost has is you know earlier when Jesse was describing, um, say that you have a two of three. The mental model here is imagine the private key is is like at the y-intercept of some graph. And then you draw a line through that and you pick, you know, three points on that line and any two of them can reconstruct the line and, and get you back to your private key. What's cool is if you have two of those points, you can pick a third point. So you, you can effectively generate new keys without actually, or new key shares without actually changing the private key. So, you know, imagine if you have a multi-sig, like you have a two of three or a three of five or a... Eleven of fifteen or something, and you lose one of your signers right now, what you basically have to do is uh either just live with it or you have to do like a wallet sweep and move all of your funds to a new wallet with a new set of signers.
0: What everybody does is is move, yeah, you know, and every time you have a new executive, you yep. have to do that again. And, you know, and and the issue with that is these are each actual Bitcoin keys. So you have to go through the trouble of like creating backups of each, burying them wherever you bury them, you know, traveling around is an absolute cluster. And there is no good secure way of creating a Bitcoin multisig quorum either right so there's no trusted way for you to communicate with each other to create that script either even with bsms a uh, bip to uh, 2329 is it 329 i can't remember now but regardless th- there is no good way of doing that uh and, and i think like frost really addresses like most of all hanging fruit low hanging fruit that that does, does and adds more
1: Yeah, like there's definitely more complexity, but being able to say, hey, I want to add new keys or remove old keys without actually needing an on chain transaction, without perturbing all of your UTXOs, is um, just a a wild capability that I think we haven't really seen in Bitcoin. And it it opens a lot of doors for key management, especially if you have, um, if some of your signers are like really hard to get to. Or if they're really locked down and you don't want to go and touch them every time you have to add or remove a key, uh, it's it's a pretty crazy superpower.
0: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I don't know. I was sort of like thinking about the complexities like of, of just in practice of doing mm-hmm. Frost. And, and because you kind of solved most of the, the uh, interactivity issues with pre-generated nonces, it is not hard to to share with each other some nuances and store them on harder wallets. Uh that, that should be fairly straightforward. And you know, like you especially I think like if somebody's going through the trouble of creating a proper like you know like frost wallet with like important signers and real money. I mean, you know, you can pre generate I don't know, like a thousand of them. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a thousand might be much, but, you, you know, you, and you store them and now you're good to go. Uh, what, what's still unclear to me, and we'll get to roles later, is like when you unroll, like when you take somebody out of the, the you essentially like queue one of the shares, if the notices are still valid or not, I haven't looked into that. But but regardless, I, I think that that's been greatly, because originally with MoSig, mm-hmm when I saw that, I said, like, okay, well, this is cute. I see cryptographers are having a lot of fun with this. But there's absolutely no fucking way you can do this in the wild because, you know, unless you're using HSM servers, yeah. it's kind of pointless. Because, like, if you're going to keep wallets hot in order to do all this this back and forth, and, and it compounds too, right? So, um as you're doing all this essentially almost like multi-party computation here, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's kind of loses the point. And then again, like the frost came in. I'm like, oh fuck, yeah, this is usable. <laughs> so Jesse.
3: Yeah, so let's 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 chat about nonces. So the thing is uh, so when we do like ECDSA and Schnorr, we have the luxury of being able to use a deterministic nonce. The main issue with nonces is if you reuse a nonce across two different signatures the private key can be trivially computed. So, you know, it's the worst case scenario. You do not want to reuse nonces under any circumstances. So with a typical signing algorithm like ECDSA, we can just take the private key and the message and hash it and use that as the nonce. And that way, if the message changes, the nonce will change and you've got a pretty good guarantee you're never going to reuse the nonce. Once you get into Musig and Frost, we can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it can be quite uh, dangerous to generate your nonce deterministically in these multi-party protocols, because if a malicious participant causes the generation to restart, all the participants are going to generate the same nonce, but the aggregate nonce will change. And so you can actually induce nonce reuse because of deterministic nonces once you move into this multi-party setting.
0: Well, just before we move on, what's the issue... I don't think people know, but what's the issue of reusing a nonce?
3: Yeah. So let's say, um, I mean, this is very algebraic. Like the outcome is the private key is leaked. Why? Exactly.
2: Well, Money gone. <laughs> How did Schnorr make it easier? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
3: I mean, it's it's a problem for both ECSA and Schnorr, but it's easier to explain with Schnorr because the equation for Schnorr is so simple. It's S equals R plus CX. So if you have two signatures, S1 and s two. With C1 and C2, so you've got S1 equals R plus C1X, and you've got S2 equals R plus C2X. When you minus S1 minus S2 and divide uh, C1 minus C2, that equals X, your private key. So anybody just looking at the blockchain or looking at the two signatures, signatures are public data. If you just take these two signatures, Subtract them. Subtract the challenge hashes, which are also public data, and you can get the private key. And this has happened in the wild. One of the most notable cases is the PlayStation Three firmware. Uh, they reuse the same nonce when they're updating their firmware. They leak their private key, and now you can like jailbreak your PS3 and do whatever you want with it.
2: Run a full node. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the nonce nonces have to be dealt with. With very very carefully, and so when we use either Frost or Music, we have an option which is we can pre-generate nonces in advance to make to bring the signing down to a single round, or we can do a nonce generation protocol for each signing round, which adds uh, additional communication rounds. And so, but there is a risk to pre-generating the nonces because let's say you pre-generate you know a thousand nonces. You have to think about the attack vectors that could trick a device
0: into... Did we lose Jesse? This was an important part, guys. This was a really important part.
2: (laughs) Jesse, (laughs) you might want to repeat
0: this part. It kind of matters.
1: Jesse's like, whatever you don't do, don't do. And then it (laughs) comes (laughs) out. Don't
0: do it. And like, (laughs) it it just freezes. This is beautiful.
1: Yeah. The NSA cut the wire. It's
2: amazing.
0: <laughs> That's right. This this was the attack vector, and now everything is fine.
2: <laughs> we never it's, received the always, noise always layers. Here. <laughs>
1: yeah, Jesse. Somebody's going to come back with a Jesse mask on and say, "Guys, just use deterministic nonsense when you're." That's uh, right.
0: You're <laughs> 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 I mean, do we trust the Jesse's Jesse when he comes back? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be hard to follow up here uh, uh, as I I mean, I'm not qualified to replace Jesse on the rest of this explanation. Yeah,
2: I mean, so the main thing is I wanted to continue down the line of or like the different functions now associated with Frost. And also maybe if you guys could touch on like uh, the schemes, right? There's an accountability scheme versus a privacy scheme. And that's protection from, I guess, the public versus the other signers. And then eventually, what led to the, the TAPS scheme? I don't know how much Rendell is in the know with that stuff either. I but don't know what the TAPS scheme TAP is, but
1: I, I'm very familiar with the uh, the accountability issue because uh, me and Nick Farrow were talking
2: about the uh, ship host dad that I want to do on Noster. Um,
0: using
2: <laughs> yeah, we we can take a quick usability tangent or uh, use case tangent. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so like one of the other things that's
1: really cool about Frost is um, Noster uses Schnorr signatures, right? So all of the cool things that we've been talking about being able to do with signature aggregation with Schnorr, you can actually use in Noster. So uh, Nick Farrow, who is uh, UTXO club on Twitter, um, I think I'm the North America branch of the Nick Farrow fan club. He he made a tool called uh, Froster is that what it's called? Yeah, Frost, so, yeah. Oh, it's God, that's um, a little
0: too close to Froffer.
1: Yeah, right. And it's um
0: I don't know. It, it lets you do,
1: know. Uh Noster posts with uh frost uh keys. So you can you can actually do threshold signing for uh for nostril,
0: oh, oh. I think
1: Jesse's coming back.
0: Jesse. <laughs> well, we better see a new a new nonce use when he comes back. <laughs> Hi. Okay. Can we have proof that it's actually you, and you're not gonna give us a different answer now that you've been compromised by the NSA? <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> we haven't like <laughs> done a like key exchange protocol in advance, so I don't think there's any way for us to have cryptographic certainty. But
0: <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to just roll with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right person who claims to be jesse you were in the middle of saying uh you know we do have not to do this attack vectors against uh,
0: uh the line was you have to think about the attack vectors that could right so if you take
3: away one <laughs> yeah. thing from this whole conversation blink. yeah so what i was saying is that the you the devices could be tricked into reusing a nonce. Let's say you load a thousand pre-generated nonces onto a hardware wallet. How does the hardware wallet keep track of the nonces that it's already used? It could it could try to delete nonces that's already used. It could have a counter. It's not impossible, but that is where the um, that's where you have to put some attention into to making sure there's no way like with a fault injection
0: or I have a couple of ideas. Yeah, please. So, uh we started doing this thing uh where every single export that cold card does has a detached signature. So, essentially you can actually verify that the owner of that private key essentially like gave out this this actual GSBT for you to sign or co-sign or uh, the address explorer, so essentially like the addresses that it's providing are the actual addresses that were provided so the computer didn't cheat it. So you could use detached signatures in a way. It's not foolproof because, yeah, I mean, I guess it is because the the issue here is if you have access to the private key, then you have access to the private key, so you don't really care. So, yeah, I mean, I, that that could help. Another thing that we could maybe do is we could have... A, a whole defy sort of kind of like a handshake between all the wallets that are part of the quorum so that every time you send, this is part of actually I'd love to add this to PSBT V2, which is maybe there is a signature to the actual PSBT and and you can start building a little bit of more trusted comms, right, between the things. So it's, it's a lot harder for you to cheat with, with the messaging transit. or or this sort of partially signed or unsigned uh, uh, bits that you have to have in and out of the wallets as long as it's not interactive again, because to me the best, like the ultimate benefit you get in terms of like free security is just not attaching things to anything, right? Like I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> like you can have an, an encrypted piece of data on your desk, right? If it's not connected to anything, it's better than any kind of encryption that ever existed, right? So if we start connecting wallets together, we kind of lose all the beautiful benefit of being air gap. So I just keep on thinking, like, how can we maybe find other ways of signing things? And we've been sort of like breaking our head. And one is detached signatures. The other thing is we can maybe start signing. So detached signature plus another signature that's that's done with a secret that's part of the hardware, not part of the, the key that is holding uh, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be a key that you can easily change or anything like that right like it's like a it's like a, a key that's part of the secure element or something like that so you'd have to break both in order to for example fake that nonce or, or tell it to use it's st- like it's
1: like some device authenticity key or something that that's like comes from some puf in the device and it's not actually your bitcoin key it's like a device export like authenticity check or something
0: yeah i mean listen i didn't want to take too much on a tangent of the hardware deep hole but uh
3: (laughs) yeah uh well there's there's a couple important important nuances here so first of all imagine if you have disjoint sets of signers let's say you have three or six so you have three signers that may not know that this other set of three signers uh, use the same nonce. It's actually not as much of an issue in Frost compared to the older threshold schemes, because in Frost, each set of each subset of signers has a completely different, um, nonce. Whereas in some of the very similar protocols that were precursor to Frost, uh, all the signers would actually get to the same, uh, all, each subset of signer could create the same nonce. So that's less of an issue, but it's, it's something you have to think about is not all the signers are going to have the same view of what we place.
0: But with frost, that wouldn't be an issue.
3: Right. So with frost, that's, that's actually not an issue. The other thing though, to consider is there is already some interactivity to get the signature from the device to the uh, coordinator. That's going to aggregate the signatures.
0: Yeah. But that could be done on a sneaker net, right? So you're not as sure. concerned.
3: But if you could do that through SneakerNet, you could also do an additional nonce round through SneakerNet. So it's a trade-off of saying, okay, do we maybe we add an additional round? We already have one round, maybe two rounds is fine, or we you know really think through securing the pre-generated nonces and then having so, a system to re-up the nonces when they run out.
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll just weigh in here a little bit because we've been thinking about this a little. Uh, like an actual sort of like implementation and i think uh you kind of end up in the same place because you know if you're protecting the private key <laughs> you know and you lose that you're kind of screwed anyways so if you can protect the private key you can protect the nonces right cuz it's going to be essentially benefiting from the same level of protection so so that's one thing the other thing that i've learned uh through these years now is that most of the people who are air gapping their devices Wised it up. And they don't have the device in the same place as the coordinator or in the same place of really anything. So say, for example, you know, a guy will have his hardware wallet sitting in some safety deposit box in Monaco or something, right? So he'll fly mm-hmm. from Miami to Monaco. He'll go inside his safety deposit box without a computer. Just a PSBT inside a microSD card. He goes inside there. There's no radios there or anything. He signs his, his, his transaction, right? And then he flies back to Miami with this yeah. signed transaction to for the secondary signer to sign in some other location, right? And it's kind of fascinating. this This, this capacity of doing like a single touch per device, fully air gap, fully remotely, like it creates this... this amazing security for for no cost except for time and and you know space displacement but
1: (laughs) yeah i mean like i I think the the protection that jesse is hitting on is i think a lot of people think of having a single touch signer as being able to to be like a stateless device where like it boots up it has a key on it you use it to sign a psbt and then you shut it off and like nothing has changed other than the power state and if you are um doing a bunch of pre-committed nonces in a batch then there's some additional state that you have to keep track of where you either need to make sure that you like securely delete the nonce that was just used or you have to keep like an index for like how far into your list of pre-computed nonces you're using and you cannot mess that up like if you mess that up you will lose your key and and so i think that you know for for um some designs for signers that might be a, a new amount of state that they need to either mutate or deal with, like popping off the front of a stack or something. Um, and and like you you really have to not mess that up, or you leak your private key.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, right now uh, we kind of already have a little. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, in our case, right, on cold card case. Uh, we actually have state for multisig mm-hmm. because of grifting attacks yep right so technically you could if you don't know you know what the change output is or you know like you can have grifting attacks there where they send it to a non derivation all kinds of mm-hmm. shit so we find that multisig without state is pretty unsafe mm-hmm. so so that's one thing right now i wonder I'm sure people come up with it, people smart as Jesse is, will come up with some little scheme on how maybe you need to prove that you know what is the next nonce before you sign it, for example. Like, you, I don't know, maybe there is like a little protocol that is also part of that single interaction. So, you know, everybody knows essentially not to use the previous nonce, right? Right. Maybe there's a hash of the previous nonce that's included in that PSPT. So, you, so, you know, you have a, a hash list, so you're not using mm-hmm. the bare nonces. And you know they're like, okay, don't use this one because this one is the previous or some something clever right. than that. I'm sure you-, <laughs> you,
3: you can also, you also have the problem of potentially leaking a private key just for a single signer. So let's say you had a hardware device that didn't put in a, a secure way of preventing itself from reusing a nonce and somehow, like let's say through a fault injection attack, where right when it's going to sign and increment its counter and delete the nonce, it, you force the device to crash, but it still exports the signature. So then when it reboots, it doesn't realize it already did that nonce. And then you ask for a new signature of a new message now just from that one device, you've been able to extract the private key. Even if you haven't been able to extract the private the aggregate private key, you've been able to extract the component private key for that one device. So it's not that it's impossible to secure, it's just something that people need to pay extra attention to. And if you put the the time and the effort, like there are secure ways to do it. But if you do it naively, then you could get into trouble.
0: That's a good year, Mark. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think I think the rotating stuff is is actually really useful. The to be able to rotate the shares without changing the underlying secret, because especially in a high fee environment, um, having to do sweeps a lot could get expensive. And where it can get really interesting is actually uh, in a lightning context, and I think. In terms of use cases, I think in in Lightning, I think that may be eventually where we see Frost get its biggest benefits. Yeah. Because with Lightning, we don't really have a native way to do multi-sig. And that's why we kind of treat our Lightning wallets like a hot wallet, not like a cold wallet, not for long-term savings, for short-term everyday spending. Because you've got one key that signs the state updates you don't have your fancy multi-sig, cold storage, and so on. But with Frost, and really only – well, either with Frost or with ECDSA MPC, we have a way of potentially getting multi-sig-like security with our Lightning keys. Because we can take these single keys and we can split them up. And from the Lightning protocol layer, it still just looks like a single key, a single signature – but actually is requiring multiple entities to sign. It's Now, when we think about doing this uh, with the taproot channel, what we'd actually be doing is embedding a frost key inside of a musig key. So when we set up a taproot channel, we have a two of two musig between the channel counterparties. Now, one or both of these public keys that creates the musig key could in fact have been generated with Frost. So now we have a Frost key embedded in music key. We know we can do this algebraically. We know we can produce valid signatures. Uh, what we don't yet have is a security proof. So I would caution anybody from just, you know, implementing this and, and signing. Um, hopefully we'll get that security proof um, in the not-too-distant future. There's a lot of reasons to think that it is secure, but we just... Uh, want to make sure that that is the case. And, and then the there's another uh, complexity with this which is all the all the signers ideally would have a BFT consensus about the state of the channel because otherwise one of the offline signers could get tricked into signing a revoked uh, state or an old channel state because they don't know about the state updates that the other signers are doing. So they need to the offline signer needs to be able to come to consensus about what the latest state is. But once we have security proof and and if you can um, if you can uh, have BFT consensus among the signers, then we can get these highly secure lightning wallets that we can have more funds uh, in the wallet securely. And when a secret is lost and we need to rotate shares, we don't actually have to close and reopen the channel because the underlying secret didn't change. So we can keep the channel, uh, the same channel open, even when we're recovering and, and have lost devices and things like that.
0: You know, I one, one thing that sort of uh, came to mind the first time I bumped into the frost paper was the fact that we can really, really de-risk risky devices, right? Yeah. So, for example, you can now like have a phone, right? Where, you know, phones are kinda, you know, all the hardware for phones are already owned, right? So your your wonderful cypherpunk Android is fully remote accessible by the carrier. Uh same is for your iPhone and all this stuff. So, you know, I'm thinking, hey, you know, with this, I mean you could have two, three phones each with like a, a highly de-risked key, right? So a low threshold key. Uh, and then you can have your, you know, CK bunker running your higher uh, threshold key with some policy. And, and then you can start having these little protocols where, you know, a device talks to the other device, it talks to the other device and, you know, money moves or money doesn't move. Uh, and if you lose your key, you don't really if key- you still don't lose your phone or your phone gets on or whatever, it's not really a big deal know, maybe we arrive at a place where you know hardware wallets are not even required anymore you know like in a in a distant future here uh, or at least not for mead size funds or operational funds, right. I mean, you know, the phones are still fucked with the AI, but, you know, your air gap devices can resolve a lot of the AI attack issues. But anyways, I think we're still sort of like thinking in terms of like, you know, trying to fix old problems instead of just sort of like really looking much more forward into like, what can we actually create that was not possible, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like we're still stuck in that.
1: Yeah, and like there's a project called um VLS. It's uh validating lightning signer and the idea is to take like the um lightning state machine and separate it out from like all of the uh RPC bits and and just have that available as like a signer and so you can run that in a really constrained environment and have it do policy-based signing of lightning channel updates and I think if you combine it with kind of this idea, you can imagine that you have this, you know, multi-sig lightning wallet and you have less trusted keys on like your phones, you have a more trusted key in your CK bunker or, you know, some other um, like more locked down computing environment running VLS and that thing can do policy-based signing and you you can start having, um, you know, different risk levels for your different signers and, and have them like more or less accessible.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting model for future key management. And I think Frost really helps in terms of having this flexibility and being able to add and remove signers without changing the underlying secret. So let's say you have a bunch of uh, different signers amongst the devices people already have, you know, their, their watch, their phone, their computer, their, you know, their tablet, like people already have many different devices and they could all be participating in a frost quorum where you could add and remove these devices. You can rotate the shares across those devices and create this really flexible key management setup across many different signers without having to kind of have it be so locked into a fixed uh, configuration right from the outset.
2: Back to the low hanging fruit of uh, lightning and its interactivity Uh, Currently, there's six secrets that uh, need to be generated and of which I believe I think it's three or four need to be online at all times. Is that right? Uh,
3: I don't know the exact number, but roughly, yeah. I mean, you've got the you've got the funding key. You've got the um, the revocation secret. Those all have to be online. You've got the payment hash preimage has to be online. But then, like the the keys uh, for the um, that get paid out from the outputs don't have to be online.
2: Yep. Gotcha. So then Frost would easily replace the ones that are online, assuming we get the security proof and you know all the moon mat checks out. But that's the goal.
3: Yeah. So you've got uh, the funding key can be done with Frost. The output keys can be done with Frost. The thing that is the trickiest is actually the the revocation secret. So the way we currently do the revocation secret is we use what is referred to as Rusty's trick, where there's this hash scheme um, to derive a secret and to store a secret that is super space efficient. So it, I think it's even like constant uh, space scaling. And the thing is, that does not work with Frost because Frost, you can't sign over a... Uh, like, once it goes through the hash, Frost can no longer um, operate on the secret. So this very specific scheme that is is used would not be available. So f- what we'd have to do is you'd basically get an unbounded growing list of secrets that have to be archived when you get the revocation secret from the counterparty. Like there's not an efficient way to store that until we maybe come up with something else. But for now that would be the trade off is like, you just have this growing archive of secrets.
2: Well, what I'm hearing is you're a LN symmetry and L2 supporter. <laughs> so that yes. I guess the revocation and, punishment mechanisms being updated would further simplify this?
3: Yeah, I think, I think L2 is going to work much more nicely with frost because of that change to how the replication works.
0: Very cool. So what's the state of implementations now? I mean, like, you know, when, when can we start sort of seeing some, some people playing with this in the actual wild?
3: Yeah, good question. So I have a um, a PR in the SECP-ZKP repo that has a full frost implementation that's currently in review. I just proposed a refactor based upon some of the review comments, and I'm about halfway through implementing the refactor. And hopefully that's pretty much like very close to where we need to be and we can get it merged in uh, within the, like the next few months. And I also have a Python implementation that I need to update. It doesn't actually, it does a Schnorr signature, but not BIP340 compatible that uh, I'm going to be updating like within the next few weeks that people can use to generate valid signatures and kind of for prototypes and experimentations and to understand how the protocol works better. And the last thing is there's a... Uh, there's a brand new implementation that is uh, that Tim Ruffing just pointed to in my Frost PR that is another LibSecP-based Frost implementation that just came out recently. And it looks quite, quite nice. I'm going to take a look at it and see if, uh, if there's some good ideas that maybe I'll migrate to my own implementation. So we've got basically those three. Oh, and the SecP fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, there, there's the SecP fun one that uh, Nick Farrow did. I don't know if you've looked at that one. I think it produces
2: BIP340 compliant signatures. It does. Yeah. yeah. I, I was talking to Nifty about that, uh, I think in Miami, and uh, she mentioned your Python implementation. I guess BIP340 compliance in this context is uh, something about supporting uh, X only or something like that, right?
3: Basically, yeah. I mean, it's funny because there's no Schnorr. There's not actually like a standard Schnorr specification, unlike ECDSA that has you know is well specified. There's all these Schnorr flavors and there's little variations of how you can hash things. And so, bit three hundred and forty is a specific implementation of Schnorr, and its most notable kind of distinct quality is that it uses X-only public keys.
0: That's what I think we're using uh, for the last, uh, for the edge release of CodeCard. Uh, it was the X only.
1: Yeah, it's, it's what you need.
0: Yeah,
3: all of Taproot is, is X only public keys. Much to the chagrin of many cryptography implementers who like the level of code complexity that is required to account for X only public keys is pretty substantial. So it, there's a lot of work to save that one byte.
1: Yeah, you, I, I've, I've screwed up that parity bit when I've done key tweaking before. It's, um, it's, it's subtle. But yeah, the, um, the, the one that's in SecP256K fun that one's in Rust. And I think Froster ends up using that. So if you want to do threshold signing for Noster because you want to uh, keep the intern from posting on your... Nostr account, or because you want to have multi-sig for Nostr, or because you want to make a post DAO, um, there's a there's a Rust implementation of Frost that you can use.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Nostr is a really interesting use case because we don't have any other way of doing multi-sig on Nostr, literally. Like, Frost is all you've got because there's no ECDSA, so there's no ECDSA MPC, there's no Bitcoin script, and it uses BIP340 signatures. So, And we need secure Nostra key management. Uh, It's your whole online identity. It's really important to secure those keys. And right now they're just like floating around in password managers or on people's phones or emails and stuff. And uh, what we really want is like a multi-sig hardware wallet enforced Nostra signing setup. That's at least what I want. And I think Frost is going to be how we get that.
0: I mean, it's going to be really hard to use uh, Noster uh, hardware wallets because, like, every single like, (laughs) (laughs) it's (laughs) signed. That's true. (laughs) No, I I mean, yeah, you know, like, and I've been talking to the guys a lot about this. It's like, okay, it's great. Yeah, we can can sign uh, some of these keys now, but we can't really practically use it. So... Pablo just released today uh NSEC Bunker. Insect Bunker, really? NSEC yeah. Bunker, I know. Um yeah. we feel flattered, Pablo. He he borrowed CK Bunker. Yeah. So essentially it's kind of like a HSM as a service for your NSEC keys, right? On Noster, because you know, companies are can't share their keys with their employees because there's just a key. Uh so I I don't know. I'm very much looking forward to frost for Noster. Because, you know, you can now share keys with employees, but they don't have full threshold and you get to approve things and they can't run away with your company keys. Well, and
1: it would be cool to, to have some policy evaluation in there because, like, you could imagine you could have a, um, you know, policy enforcing signer for Nostra messages that are That's like, right. if you're going to like or repost uh, an event, then that just gets approved. But if you're going to... Zap something, then like you have a budget. And if you're going to post a note, then um, that has to be a perfect.
0: No, it's more fun to do uh, full censorship on the employees. So, like, if they want to say, yeah, for sure. example, say, I like big blocks, it doesn't sign. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you can really get in there. Yeah, no, but, but the main issue with Nostr is that, like, unlike so Bitcoin, you can just move the funds to a new key right with nostr i mean your identity is that key so you know until we have uh, some galaxy brain figure out some uh, some key delegation on a network nostr like network which is t- too hard to have state and you know i nobody knows how to do it yeah i mean it's it's going to get weird and interesting uh maybe we're just going to have a society acceptance that you burn keys
2: I was going to just say, luckily, these keys are not used for money. So, uh, uh, in some places, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's fair.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the YOLO is only going to get stronger.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. There, there's been. Um, so, uh, the two things that I've seen, you know, ARC has been. In the news lately, and I think right now the current plan for ARC is that it's going to use a Nostra key as kind of like a silent payment uh, type uh, type key. And then the other one is um, there's a Lightning wallet that uh, they wanted to add ordinal support. And so they're using your NPUB as a public key and using it for Bitcoin also. So people are starting to use Nostra keys for Bitcoin, which is terrifying.
2: Wait, they're using... A Nostr key that was a Lightning node pub key to receive. portals? No,
1: it's it's for on chain, right? So they're they're taking like your Nostra and pub okay. and using it for uh, on chain Bitcoin. Gotcha, gotcha. Oof. That's, why?
0: One uh... <laughs> <laughs> does not ask why.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I can tell you the real reason. Real reason is it's a bear market people might be trying to raise money or like show growth. So for the users, right, this is like the adoption or like that bootstrapping of like that user base because people are using Noster. So you're like, Hey, if I add this quick feature, then we'll suddenly get this user. Uh, and then we'll suddenly have like 5k or 10k users. But I think that's short-sighted probably for the same reasons you guys are saying. Cause once someone actually does lose that money, then whatever goodwill and, Usability you've bought up is...
1: Yeah, I, 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 I think it was, it was actually more opportunistic than that. It's like um, there's a browser extension that's a in-browser Lightning wallet that's actually like pretty good for an in-browser Lightning wallet that also has Nostra support. And um, so there, there's a Nostra key in there and somebody wanted to build uh, a market where you could pay Lightning and then receive an ordinal. And uh, they were like, where are you going to get up? A- you know, on-chain compatible public key from. We'll use your Nostra key. And like, that's, so here we are. (laughs) So it's going to happen. So frost for Nostra keys is uh, probably going to be a thing that gets more serious when people realize that they have bags attached to their Nostra identity.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you could also lose all your cashew as well.
1: (laughs) You know, cashew
0: is going to be worth a lot of money. Jesse, are you familiar with the cashew project? No,
2: I'm not. (laughs) It's charming. Single SIG.
0: This is very, very cool. I mean, Kali, uh, who, who who wrote that, um, yeah, I mean, it's just chum and mint. Uh, and you can trade these tokens uh, using Noster. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's fully integrated Nostr or not. Yeah, the, the command line version is. So, like, if you use the <laughs> command you line client. You, you, you,
1: like, if, like, Jesse, if I have your NPUB, I can say send 500 SATs to this NPUB and it sends like a uh, like a noster uh dm to you with a bunch of um cashew ecash and then you run the cashew command line client and it grabs your dms and looks for um cashew tokens in them and then automatically redeems them.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it, yeah it, it's, it's uh cool. it's essentially the hacker's version of fediment without being federated. Uh they they were first to market. Anyways, it's, uh, and I think the Feddy guys are also going to do a lot of stuff related to Nostra as well. Well, actually, Mutiny as well. So I don't know if you're familiar with Mutiny.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You are. So they are also using Nostra IDs as a way to have a contact to send Bitcoin mm-hmm. to. I, I don't know to the extent of the integration because I didn't read it. But I think people are starting to use that because it is a signed ID right? Mm-hmm. It, and it's self-signed too, which is really cool. So yeah. you have a permanent person, right? Uh, a permanent ID somewhere. Um, it, it's it's going to get weird. <laughs> it's going to be weird and cool, but it's going to get weird. Okay, guys. I mean, th- do you guys want to start touching a little bit on Roast? Uh, I think maybe, maybe a good point, unless there, there is something else that we missed there on the first part
1: um i i I think like the the downside for frost so like we've been talking about lots of good things for frost so like smaller on-chain footprint um if there's second layer protocols that assume that you have single sig then like you can just kind of drop frost in there that's like really nice being able to add or remove keys is really nice being able to change the configuration of your multi-sig is really nice some of the downsides just to like round it out are uh, there's you know more complexity and it's more stateful around like the non-signments that we talked about. But another one that we haven't really mentioned is if you're using multi-sig in like a multi-user setup, so you have you know a bunch of people at your company and everybody holds a key, if you're doing script-based multi-sig, you can tell on chain like who signed, which adds some really nice like transparent accountability. And with Frost, all of those signatures get aggregated down into a single signature. And so if you had you know, a three of five and all of the money moves on chain, you can't really look on chain and see like which three people moved it. So, you know, you, if, if accountability is a feature that you're looking for, then there's some other things that you can do. And like, you know, there, there's a number of schemes out there, but in general, like um, where Frost starts, having some trade-offs is um, if you wanted to use it for something like the Fediment on-chain wallet, you might want to like really make sure that you know which of the Fediment, uh, like Federation Guardians signed for the money if like all of the money leaves. And so if you're going to adopt something like Frost, then you need to add some additional uh, like mitigations to, to make sure that you have
0: accountability. Yeah. I mean, nothing is without trade-offs, but Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know, like, every single time, like, you know, you start sort of examining, like, the practicality of standard multisig P2SH, right? You really sort of, like, it's just like a a pit of sorrow, (laughs) (laughs) you know? It's just horrible. I mean, because, see, you know, we talk about, like, you know, yes, technically, now you need some statefulness, right? But I'll take it. Sounds great. In practice, you need statefulness yeah. in multi-sig too because, yeah. you know, you have three metal plates now that need to be buried somewhere or need to be re yep. <laughs> somewhere yeah. else, right? Like, I mean, it, or like the security risk of rolling all the funds into a new wallet and the privacy loss because you're not going to do some crazy coin join to move all your business money from one wallet that might be compromised to another, right? Like, Things break down so fast when you get into the actual practicality of it that when you compare the actual practical concerns of frost versus p two s h right like those trade offs are not as bad i mean they they really aren't uh, and and you know and at the end of the day i mean like i I feel like right now it's been very sort of you know the hardware signing sort of industry has been sort of like a little bit too kitty like script kitty like with some things where you know we got to grow up and learn how to do statefulness on things properly and and you know have better protocols on how to exchange the information and you know it's just you know there is a lot of money to be stolen and and we see you know bad implementations out there who they do get own but like I feel like as as this industry sort of scales, like really into more people, more targets, like uh, we're really gonna have to grow up and and do things in in more complex ways that that do sort of you know address a lot of this with other sets of trust things that are not just a Bitcoin signature itself, right? So it's the devices, it's some protocol between the devices, it's you know the the, the devices have. 2nd sec signatures or, like, how it decrypts the secret inside, whatever. It, it, you know, it's, uh, it's all part of growing up as an industry. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree.
3: I mean, they say, like, in cryptography or, or in Bitcoin, you know, you, you replace all problems with key management problems. You know, we don't have to worry <laughs> <Is it> about, <laughs> like... We don't have to worry about the Fed or, you know, all this other crap. But the one thing we yes. do have to worry about is key management. And and yes. increasingly, as more and more of the world is built on top of this basis, these keys are literally going to secure our entire civilization. And we're going to need to keep yes. upping the game for how we manage them.
0: Yeah, I mean, whatever you do, just keep them offline. I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't emphasize this enough to people. <laughs> <laughs> every conversation should end with you never plug them in <laughs> <laughs>
3: air gapping is strong
0: right I'll queue them up for the the
2: roast stuff so so far to summarize Frost we have you know uh, it's unforgeable under concurrent signing sessions it's semi-interactive signing with respect to uh, a pre-signature round that you can still exchange a committed nonce uh, without a message or like the subset, and then the signature round. So Frost doesn't solve the robustness. What is robustness, Jesse? Why? What is an identifiable abort? Uh, and why should we even care about having uh, multiple concurrent sessions?
3: Okay, great question. So um, robustness is a guarantee within a signing round that as long as you have. A threshold of honest participants that you can get to a signature without a malicious participant disrupting the round. So in Frost, we in advance we have to pick. Okay, who's going to be signing? Let's say let's say we have a thirty-three out of a hundred setup, and let's say we we, well, we we go to the we want to create a signature like let's say to a a Fed or something like that. There, there needs to be a selection of who is gonna sign. And then the coordinator will pick out the signers. Then the signers will proceed to produce signatures. But if the signatures are invalid, then you have to re- you have to figure out who submitted an invalid signature, then restart the process, kick the the malicious participant out, or maybe they're just maybe they're just unavailable or they're not malicious, there's a bug in their code, but to kick out the defective participant. And then proceed again. And when you have like a very large set of signers, this could you could have a denial of service vector where participants could keep disrupting the signing process. So what Roast does is it creates a guarantee that you're going to get to a signature as long as you have a sufficient number of honest participants. And the way it does that is it actually instantiates multiple. Frost sessions in parallel. So Roast is just a wrapper around Frost. You take the Frost APIs and you just structure them in a new way, and you run them in parallel, and that's how you get Roast. And since you have these parallel sessions, if if some of the sessions don't complete, you have other sessions that will complete, and you're guaranteed to get to this outcome. And it's really something when you when you get to large sets of participants where that becomes important. Obviously, in something like a two of three, it doesn't matter. If one of the participants doesn't complete, you just switch to the other and you're done. Uh, But as you get more and more participants, Roast is a really nice way to guarantee you're going to get this signature.
0: You know, Jesse, I was was, uh, having a drink with uh, Justin... And uh, I, I mentioned to him that uh, the idea of federation, every single uh, participant in the federation, sorry, in that mint would have a key. And then you're back into democracy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where the majority can print the money. <laughs> this right. is just
2: yeah. Eddie.
0: yeah. <laughs> so here's the the interesting thing. Like, So maybe I have missed this from before. So can any party coordinate or do you need a specific... Yeah. Uh, secret or or you know how how does it work for you to coordinate that maybe is different than PTSH? 2 sh
1: So in Frost, a coordinator isn't actually required. It, it's an optimization. So if you don't have a coordinator, then you you need like a broadcast mechanism because you're going to be doing um, you're trading around nonce commitments and then you're trading around like partial signatures. So. Having a coordinator is just like an optimization where everybody sends their pieces to the coordinator and the coordinator sends pieces to other participants instead of everybody having to send everything to everybody else. The coordinator can be any of the participants and they don't have any like special secret key or something. So you could, if, if this is like you're you know, running Sparrow on your laptop and it has frost support and you have a bunch of like signers then you could use Sparrow as the signature aggregator. Like that's that's the coordinator. If this is like a multi-party protocol, then it could be like any person. Maybe you have um, some like verifiable random shuffle or you, you know, take the last block hash and you do a mod the number of people and you say, okay, you know, Jim, you're the coordinator now.
2: It, it, it can be like any other participants. So to, to summarize and using Chelsea Cumlow's language, it... Uh, the combiner is what we're referring to as a coordinator here. And then uh, a signer can also be a combiner or the combiner can just be some other entity in general that gets all the shares.
3: Yeah. That gets the signatures.
2: No signatures. Yeah. It it doesn't get shares. It gets
1: signatures.
3: Um, yeah. So, and, and typically, you know, only what, like, let's say you're signing a Bitcoin transaction Somebody's going to take the Bitcoin transaction and publish it to the network. Not every participant is going to like each publish it. So, like, usually you're, you have somebody, some entity, or system or service that's actually going to aggregate the signatures, publish the transaction. But it's not. They have no secret data. They can't steal funds. They can't forge a signature. They don't have to be trusted. Like the main thing they can do is just thwart the signing. You know, denial service but they can't they can't steal, they don't have anything secret, and anybody can serve that function and play that role.
0: very cool so are you concerned about having different sets of signers not coordinating correctly and maybe signing funds out uh, without say for example, you know a group of six say so, say you have a six out of a hundred right? something something silly and you only need 10 right so 10 of them sign right but then what if another 10 are doing the same thing and another 10 are doing the same thing i guess you're just going to bump into issues where you're going to have spent outputs right
1: yeah i, I think it'd be the same as if you had a um i'm going to make this up if you had like a one of 15 like p2sh uh multisig and you had different people all trying to spend the money at the same time then you're going to run into problems with like double spending the same outputs or or other things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. But luckily, w- with the scheme, you can identify who is trying to do the spending, right? Of of the subsets, well,
3: you wouldn't be able to tell from the on-chain transaction. You wouldn't know who signed. Yeah,
2: not, not as a public, but as a signer. If
3: you have good, you know, you would need like logging and forensics and stuff to figure it out,
1: I see. Okay. Yeah. Another like really interesting scheme that I heard, I forgot who told me this, an idea that I heard was, you know, since we have taproot, like one way that you could do frost is you have a tap leaf for, so, so say that, say that you had uh, like a three of five, just to keep the numbers small. So imagine if what you did was you had uh, five tap leaves where each one had a single SIG with one participant, and then a two of four frost for the other ones. So you're still using frost to aggregate like most of your quorum down to a single signature, but then one of the signatures is identifiable. And whoever is being the coordinator, you have them have like an exposed single signature in that tap leaf, and then you have everybody else aggregate down to a single key. And that way on chain, you can identify who the coordinator was. And then you go to them and say, who else signed? So I think that there's like some tricks like that, that that we could use to add some on-chain accountability while still keeping some of the benefits um, for like really large quorum sizes. You're still doing a script path spend, so you don't get all of the benefits of Frost, but it's a a way that if you were running like a federated system, you could still have a lot of, you know, on-chain space savings, but still some accountability. Very interesting.
3: But it's it's a great point that it does not solve the issue of the signers needing to know what they should actually sign. So, you know, if, yeah. and this is typically, I think, the weakest point in a lot of these systems is if you can corrupt, like, let's say you have this giant system of servers and humans and all these different people signing, but you corrupt the actual address you're spending to. And and whatever, you know, services, you know, the person inputs the address, this is where I want to spend. And then that's swapped out. And that system, you know, sends to all the signers, hey, sign this transaction. Like, there needs to be a way to authenticating, like, is this what I should actually sign? Is this correct or not? And that is oftentimes the easiest way to subvert these types of systems is just corrupt the process by which the signers are believed that they're signing the correct thing.
0: Right. Uh, and and is there a solution for that? Is well, there a, sort of like a parallel sort of protocol or something where you are exchanging, you know, it's like you go back to the BSMS thing, the, the Bitcoin multisig sig uh, secure multisig thing, which is not like great either. I, I still think that we still haven't found, or at least like I don't know of, a good solution around transporting this stuff securely right is this something that's being worked on especially because you know once you you know because multi-sig is max 12 signers really realistically speaking you know with frost is going to be you know a hundred a 1, thousand we don't know right so now having a proper protocol to do this uh it's going to be really important the, the
2: most adjacent and probably advanced is probably the VLS team correct Uh I think because of essentially the the trade offs, though, with blind signing versus VLS, uh, it varies greatly per use case. Whether you know, once you're adding the velocity checks in the policy and the whitelisting and blacklisting, and then thresholds and other things, uh, at what point do you realize you're just recreating like a full node in another smaller hardware device? And if there's a better way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, like there's a mix of, you know, you want to do validation
1: of whatever you're signing, like close to the signing. So this is the classic, like actual, actually check that this is your change address. Like make sure that, you know, you're not spending to some derivation path that like you can't spend from in the future. Like there's that, but then there's also um, you want to make sure that you know the destination has some amount of like authenticity and um, like integrity protection hasn't been like tampered with in flight or, and and that opens up a lot of questions about like okay do I have some you know trust on first use key that came from the coordinator and they're going to use that to like sign PSBTS that they send at me or like w- you know it's 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 really complicated and. There's not um, there's not like a standardized protocol for it yet. I, I think that that's something that would be cool to see in some common like multi sig coordinators and and get that standardized, where you could have like interoperability between signers to have kind of like authenticated signing sessions uh, would be would be a nice improvement for Frost, but also just for like P2SH um, style uh, uh, multi
3: sig as well. Yeah, I also think the um... What is it? The like the stealth addresses or the um, mm-hmm. the new protocol silent payments? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, could really help if we can have more static identifiers for payees, mm-hmm. um, and that they could be you know on people's nostril or otherwise, where you'd have some out of band way of checking. Like I'm a signer, I got a request to sign. Should I approve it or not? Well, it's being sent to Alice, and this is, you know, uh, this is derivable from Alice's silent payment address, and I can check that she has that listed on her Noster and on, you know, maybe a couple other places. These ways of of verifying that who you're sending it to, the address matches the intended recipient, and that there's multiple ways of checking that, and that we even maybe build out, like, secure address books or contact lists that allow this yep. to be done in a secure way, I think is is going to be part of the solution for this type of problem.
1: You know, it's really funny. We were talking about people sending money to Nostra NPUBs earlier. <laughs> I just realized I'm pretty sure that you could use an NPUB as a silent payment, like reusable identifier. So you actually could like send to somebody's NPUB, but not have it be identifiable on chain that you're sending somebody's NPUB, which would be pretty
0: dope. Things are going to get so weird. Yeah, things are going to get <laughs> really <laughs> freaky. Things are going to get really, really weird. Uh, (laughs) okay so uh on that vein jesse uh have we missed anything in terms of like reviewing uh frost and roast to people you think like on your on your uh perspective
3: i think we've covered all the the main points all the important stuff
0: okay and i guess yeah i mean i guess we can't really get into the weeds of implementations because we're still waiting for an implementation to sort of really be released. And, uh, and once that's released, we're going to start finding all the problems.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that would be
0: serviced and review, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, happen. I mean, I mean, not, not the problems with the implementation, but but you know, like the practicality and uh, and sort of like how to actually use this in wallets oh, yeah. and and users okay. and yeah, in- integrated uh, and applying. It. That, yeah. That's, that's <laughs>
2: right. so the order of operations is you know you're on the, SECP, the ZKP library uh, rebasing your PR. Uh, then once uh you re- rebase it, I guess you'll ask for review. Probably do the rounds like Bitcoin Core PR review club, uh, whatever other uh you know Bitcoin Optech sessions, whatnot, and then after much more further scrutiny, we can expect to see it in the official like SEC P two fifty six K one library. Correct? Uh,
3: yeah, that may be a while. I mean, there's some discussion over what is this proper scope for these two different repos. So we've got the SECP256K1, then we've got SECP256K1-ZKP. And right now, mainly, all the direct dependencies of Bitcoin Core are in SECP proper. And then things that aren't a direct dependency, like music Frost, are in-ZKP. But there's been some discussion by the maintainers to... Potentially expand the scope of SecP proper to include cryptographic protocols that are relevant to Bitcoin, but may not be a direct dependency, but only when we have a very high confidence in them. So eventually, we'll hopefully see Frost and Music and these systems make their way over to the main repo. But for now, that stuff is kind of living in ZKP, and ZKP is like a nice staging ground for some of the more experimental or new cryptographic uh, protocols.
1: But like, what's nice is it doesn't like, we're not going to be dependent on, you know, a soft fork or any kind of consensus change for this. So like, I, I think, you know, a lot of folks are going to look at the ZKP implementation as like a reference implementation, you know, maybe it's really easy to integrate it into other wallets um maybe people use the secp256k fun one for like rust applications but you know like once once there's sort of some standards you know that 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 there's community consensus around people can start building on top of this stuff and it it doesn't necessarily have to end up in bitcoin core like you don't have to be blocked on it getting into core
0: yeah I mean core core doesn't have a lot of things still so that are like that are in the double digit bips so uh mm-hmm. it's normal right i mean like i you Probably. know i personally think that the core wallet is going to slowly start to be uh so behind that like even the people who are very adamant about using it may not be using it anymore and you know we're going to just accidentally become bitcoin core as core versus bitcoin core the wallet which was the intended separation that one day is going to happen it's just too much right for for that implementation to have on it i mean it's just it's silly especially because it's not consensus code
3: right
2: so we're all Bitcoin kernel shills now (laughs) 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 but um I was selfishly asking about the order of operations because, you know, in the cold card, we use the SECP library. So I'm doing some mental math in my head and figuring out when I get to say when Frost to NVK, you know, in a year or so. Like just thinking about it from that angle.
0: (laughs) You know, I, I like, I like taking uh, Peter's approach is it never <laughs> and then, like, the question goes away. And then, you know, a month later, boom here. <laughs>
3: right. Yeah. I mean, once it's in ZKP, I think that's a good time to start using it. You know, it could be years before it makes its way into SecP proper, not for a security reason or anything else, just because, you know, it, uh, there's a lot of like process questions and like of where code should live and stuff like that. One thing is uh, also I'm working on a frost BIP. So that will provide a standard way for anyone to implement it in, in the way that's compatible with Bitcoin. So we'll, we'll have that as well. And also I plan on implementing rust bindings. I'm still kind of waiting to see how the rust bindings work for music. Like, are we going to have, a uh, Rust ZKP or a Rust Bitcoin ZKP. That is where this kind of like repo stuff starts to get complicated, is like how the Rust dependencies build on top of it.
0: Can you even say the word Bitcoin and Rust together? I think it's still under litigation. So I'm calling it crust until <laughs> until, until they resolve their, uh, their legal issues.
3: Yeah, I better be careful. I don't want Craig Wright coming after me, so... Well, so so
1: there, there's a a community fork of that language. Uh, I think it's called Crab. So so maybe we'll have a a, a Crab uh,
0: Crab Secp. Why crab didn't crab they call P it Crust? It was letter. so good. Naming is hard. Yes. Um anyways, uh, okay, okay. So so yeah, I mean, like, is the natural path for any sort of new primitive, right? I mean, I, I think the BIP is going to help clarify a lot the fact that there is no consensus changes or or needs. Is a huge deal. It means you don't need permission. You can start frosting all your things. Uh,
2: <laughs> Do you have a BIP number, by
0: the way, Jesse?
3: No BIP number yet, but I have a draft BIP that I have linked to in my
0: PR. Is that going to include Roast, the same BIP?
3: Initially, it will not include Roast. Um, once we get Frost settled, then we can move on to uh, to Roast even I don't even know if there's like a roast implementation out there currently.
1: So I remember at one point the your frost implementation was using part of music, I think for the key generation, is that still the case or did that get punted?
3: I changed it. Yeah. Initially I realized I could actually use like most of the music APIs for frost. If I, changed the frost protocol a little bit where you actually create both a music and a frost key. And I was just kind of seeing like how, like there's a lot of overlap between like the signing protocol and the mm-hmm. knots protocol between frost and music are basically exactly the same, except for frost, you're signing with the Shamir secret and with music you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of overlap, but in review and after talking to Jonas and Tim and stuff, we kind of, decided it was better to like not try to merge these things and we couldn't really come up with like a use case why it would be useful to have like a key that is both music and Frost. So uh, mm-hmm. so now the current implementation has its own APIs. Some of them are modeled off of the music APIs, but it's all uh, it's not using any of the music APIs. And my refactor is bringing the implementation even closer to kind of how things were are specified in the paper. So a lot of this kind of early, like Mm -hmm. weird stuff I was doing is kind of like made its way out of the implementation.
1: Okay, cool. Well, I mean, that's nice because it means if somebody goes and reads the paper, they will follow the implementation.
3: Yeah. There's one one thing that we have kept that I think is kind of cool, which is the paper doesn't tell you how to implement the broadcast channel. It just says you Mm -hmm. need a broadcast channel. And so... What we're doing is we're creating this this hash of all the VSS commitments and signing that, and that is fulfilling this requirement uh, for the broadcast channel. And uh, another, another feature that I'm planning on adding is part of the protocol, you already need an authentication key for each participant. And so what I'm considering doing is using that authentication key to export and uh, this is actually Elifi's um, idea when he was reviewing the PR, to export the shares. Who's
2: What's that? Whose idea?
3: Elifi. True. Oh, uh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the
3: uh, cryptographer. I forget his last name. but um review, Yeah, it starts with a T. Um, he uh, suggested that the API export encrypted shares from the key generation protocol. Because that's left right now up to the user of the API that you, you generate shares and you have to send them to other participants, but that needs to be done over a secure channel. But since we already have authentication keys baked into the protocol, what we can do is the API can use SHA 20 uh, Poly 1305 to take the uh, authentication key of the recipient, encrypt the share uh, with that authentication key using Diffie Hellman. And then that way, like built into the implementation, you already get the secure channels between all the participants. And oh, another thing is my implementation works with BIP32 key derivation. So you can have a frost key and then you can derive keys from it. And all the participants can sign the derive keys. It works with taproot uh, key tweaking as well. So all of that stuff is uh, is working with frost.
2: Is there any uh, particular reason you also chose like the same uh, algos that Lightning has, like the ChaCha and the Poly?
3: Mainly because, well, ChaCha20, Poly1305 is like one of the best authenticated encryption ciphers. And we already have a ChaCha, not ChaCha20, but we have a ChaCha API in SecP that's used for, I forget what it's used for. It was some kind of optimization for like hashing the block or something like that. But we have ChaCha in SecP and Poly1305 is like, doesn't take much to implement. So I figured I just throw that in and then we'll have ChaCha20 Poly1305 in SecP, which will be nice. Cause it's built on all the highly secure SecP low level uh, primitives and APIs. And we'll have tests for constant time and all that stuff. So that might be useful in general for people who want to like use an authenticated encryption cipher.
1: Well, and also um, BIP324, which is like the new encrypted P2P Uh transport um, that also uses uh, Chacha20, Poly1305. So yeah, I think they're using a different implementation, but it'd be really cool if they could just get that from LibSecP.
2: That would. That's the peer-to-peer encryption uh-huh. vip with
1: yeah it's it's like opportunistic encryption for all the P2P traffic very nice
3: yeah Peter worked on it as well
0: yep Peter
3: Vola yeah it's super cool
0: very cool guys all right I mean I think we've covered a lot of ground <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah another boring episode where there's nothing <laughs> happening in Bitcoin.
0: That's right. There's <laughs> nothing happening in Bitcoin uh we've managed to bore you to death we've got some algebra lessons today <laughs> and uh very basic stuff uh and if you didn't understand everything here you clearly don't have uh what it takes to be a clown wizard at a bitcoin conference and uh <laughs> yeah i mean you know like what can i say bitcoin is dead listen guys uh this, this was awesome uh i i'm really really looking forward to seeing the this, this merged because you know it's hard for people to start implementing uh, client things until it's at least on z k p right because you know until it's there, kind of people go like it's never gonna happen on bitcoin right It's kind of a nice thing in a way, so I mean I'd love to have you again here jesse when uh, when we have this hopefully on uh on cold card and some other implementations around. And Rindell, uh, when when you have some of your very cool, interesting projects you're involved in, maybe start leveraging some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, guys, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for doing this. So uh, let's just do a little round of uh, any final thoughts. Uh, Mr. Vivek.
2: My brain is completely fried, even preparing for this and watching. It's
0: roasted, you mean
2: yes it's roasted i can't even <laughs> use terms anymore but uh awesome. after you watch like chelsea Cumlow and like tim ruffing long enough and get to parse jesse about implementations your your brain's just tapped out like i'm a glazed donut up here right now so i want to thank you guys again <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah um thanks so much for uh, jesse, having me any final thoughts yeah just kind of jumped the gun there uh Thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, this has been great. And uh, I'm always happy to chat about Frost. Please reach out to me if anybody's interested in learning more about it or reviewing it or implementing it, working on it. And more than happy to come back on the show uh, anytime. And uh, I'm just really excited for the future of key management. I think we're just barely even scratching the surface of what's possible. And I think it's going to be really important that these systems continually evolve and improve as they secure more and more data for more and more people.
0: So what do you really have to say is that uh, not your threshold of shards, not your Bitcoin? Exactly. Ah. <laughs> well said. <laughs> and uh, Rindell, any, any final thoughts?
1: Uh, yeah. So we, we talked about Frost a bunch. The original paper is called Frost Flexible Round Optimized Schnorr Threshold Signatures. So it should probably be Frost's, but whatever. <laughs> uh, it was written by uh, Komlo and Goldberg. I, I actually really recommend if you're interested in this stuff, like go find the paper and read it. As far as cryptographic protocol papers, it's actually one of the more readable ones out there. And it does a good job of kind of walking you through all of the pieces underneath frost and then how they come together and like why they come together the way that they do to make frost so if you're interested in this um definitely go and read the original paper and then uh pepper jesse with lots of questions and he'll help you
0: that's right Uh, let's give uh, jesse's phone number so people can just text him uh about their uh implementation questions and uh everything else just kidding well guys Thank you so much. Uh, uh, this, this was awesome. Uh, and, and with that, uh, we're cl- closing it up. Thanks for listening. For more resources, check the show notes. We put a lot of effort into them. And remember, we don't have a crystal ball. So let us know about your project. Visit bitcoin.review to find out how to get in touch.